0: So good. Well, let's let's go on. This is our last uh, our last engage month. Um, we're still going to have church next month. I don't know if you, but uh, and, we're, and we'll be here next Sunday too. Uh, and we're growing. Come on, somebody. And, and we're going to keep moving forward with what God has commissioned us. And today we're going to talk about uh, engaging ministry and mission. How many of you were here last week? Would you raise your hand up? Quite a few of you were. Um, I, I want to make sure if you weren't here, please. Go watch it online. We'll probably get it up on our YouTube page and send it out. I think the reason why is because we did some teaching on models of ministry, and and you need to know what you're a part of and how we see leadership, uh, and you need to know the model of, of ministry that we really we want to see manifest in the culture and way of life that we want to walk out uh, as a church, as a church family, especially. If you're here and you, your heart really connects with this tribe and you're plugging in and you're, you're building relationship with people and you got to hear that message, I think it's really important. Um, and, and all month, we've just been so blessed and impacted by these great messages, my wife and Tony, um, and, and then some of the stuff that we talked about last week is just so important, I think, for, for you to know what you're a part of. Um, and, and there were some, some things that we just went over, I think are important and we're kind of going to just catapult off that. So uh, some of the things I'm going to talk about today are going to be the, the foundation of what I shared last week. Some of the stuff is going to be moving into that today. So we're going to talk about ministry and mission. I got my slides up here. So, uh, we're going to talk about purpose first. How many of you have ever just said like, what's my purpose? Like, what's my calling? God, what have you created me to do? Now, it's interesting because we always have this exterior understanding of purpose and calling. And and we always want somebody to tell us what to do, don't we? We always want God to tell us what to do because we're wired that way. And that's not unhealthy, but it it just depends on how we hear from God. Like, you know, we could read a verse in the Bible. uh, We could get a prophetic word. In a lot of cultures, it's like, Well, I just need a confirmation. I'm just praying for confirmation so I know my purpose. But you know, that's like one of the last ways uh, or or the last things, indicators for you to know what you're created to do, like that unique purpose that you have. Now, I think it's important that we understand we have a unique destiny, but it's also important that that we don't uh, compartmentalize that to detach it from community and family and people in our lives because our destiny is connected to people if we're going to live out our God-given destiny. That was a really good place to say amen. I'm not sure what's going on, guys. Was the coffee week this morning or what? Um, We need to pull it together, though. Seriously. Okay. But it's important you understand your purpose is not outside of you. It's woven into the fabric of your being. God branded your heart with a passion. Most of the time, we don't realize the thing that we're most passionate about is usually the thing that we're called to do. The, the thing that we want to change, we, you know, we could be a justice person. It's like, God, I just want to, this isn't right, and I want to make it right. And, and the, the worst thing we could do is sit on the sidelines and critique it instead of rising up and becoming the more and bringing change in the earth. And so your purpose is connected to something called God's plan. I think that's an obvious, right? And we're going to talk about this. I'm going to spend time. We have three things we're going to talk about. Can you give me about 30 minutes? Is that cool? We went a little long in worship, give or take a few minutes. Come on, give me a break. Uh, but we're going to talk about the will of God. You know, you know, this is such a misunderstood thing. And, and, and we, the reason that not only is it, I think it's taught wrong in a lot of ways, but I think that we see it wrong because you understand, if we talk about God's will, we're talking about the will of a person who is the creator. But if we envision our creator a specific way, then we're gonna envision his will a specific way. And so what's important is how you see God and the way he created us. And we're gonna talk about God's plan. Let's read some scripture. If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Thessalonians or you can read with us right here. Uh, This is so powerful. This is so profound. It says, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. If the person next to you is idle and disruptive, just... Gently elbow them. No, I'm kidding. Everyone elbowed the people. That's, man, you guys are judgmental this morning. So Paul's just laying it down for real. He's keeping it real with them. He says, Encourage the dis- dis- hearted, disheartened, uh, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Well, that's a good Christian in- integrist thing to do. Amen. That's a good, we could camp out on that for a while. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Christians should be the best forgivers in the world. Man, there was this blog, uh, so powerful. I'm gonna share it this week about this, this pastor and his wife that we know in Los Angeles. Their son's rising up in, uh, in ministry, powerful. They're ministering in inner city areas, young Hispanic kid. And he gets, he's at the wrong place at the wrong time, gets gets shot and he dies. And this was about three years ago. And, and these pastors wrote a blog or wrote a, an article about, the, they went to the courtroom where the their son's murderer was being tried. And I didn't read the whole thing. My wife was sharing it with me. It was so powerful though. And, and, and they basically wanted, they wanted the guy who murdered their son to know that they forgave gave them. I, mean, that's a, I don't know if I could do that. Like that's, that's hardcore. That's hardcore Christianity right there. And, and they, they, here's what they did. They, they played a video. The judge allowed them to do this. so powerful. They played a video of their son preaching in the courtroom. And the guy who murdered him is watching is watching the guy he killed preach the gospel, and he's sitting there in tears. And his family sitting there in tears. And then the parents made sure that they know we forgive you. We forgive you. That's powerful. Come on. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Now, listen, he's being tried. That's the state is doing their job. But as a believer, we're called to bring radical forgiveness, even to our enemies. It's a big deal. All right, that's another message. Let me keep reading here. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other. Come on, say, to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Then he goes on, he says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to just let that settle on you for a minute. Paul's teaching or he's he's writing this letter and he says, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's will for you. What's God's will for you? For you to do good and for you to do these things. And then he goes on, don't quench the spirit. Don't treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. Now, King James says, uh, uh, you know, avoid all appearances of evil. It's a bad translation. He's talking about different kinds of evil. But, but he says here, he tells him stuff to do, and he's like, "Listen, this is God's will for you. Here's what I want you to understand: God's will is not God's will is not like this uh, fine line that you have to walk, and if you miss it, you're going to hell in a handbasket." Hello, God's will is for you to do good. God's will. Here's what I want you to catch: it's a state of being. It's not. Like this, see the way that we think about God's our purpose and God's plan and God's will is we think that everything in the future is completely settled. Now, the reason we think that is because we've been taught our view of God is taught that He exhaustively controls and manipulates everything. And and you know, and here's what you need to understand is you're not God. I'm not God. And so we have to turn off our desire to be omniscient. And we have to turn off our idea of everything in the future settled. Here's why. What happens is we think of God's will in a deterministic fashion. And instead, now I believe that there are, here's what I want you to catch. There are some things in the future that are, that are predestined, you could use that word if you want, or determined or settled. There are some, let me put it this way, there are some things in the future that are certain. Can I hear you say amen? Amen. I mean, the physical return of Jesus, certain. Come on, somebody. The church, well, God will build his church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. That's certain. Uh, There's some things that are certain. We're certain of a final judgment and a final resurrection, amen? We're certain of things. But there are some things in the future we should look at not as certain but as possible the reason why if we fall into this deterministic understanding of god's will this fine line this idea that it's just this tight rope that we have to walk my wife has said it before in one of her messages that it's it's like God's will is like this tight rope and we have to balance and and when we mess up and fall we got to start all the way over again. Well, let me try to get back in God's will. I better do God, what's your will? And God's like, "I want you to make good choices. I want you to I want you to love people. I want you to I mean, husbands, I want you to love your wives, you know? Come on. Fathers, I want you to love your children. I want you to love your family. This is God's will." And so Paul is clearly saying God's will is doing good and it's a state of being, not some fine line you have to walk. So we should see the future. Now, this is tough for us because we've brought ourselves into this false sense of comfort thinking if everything's settled, then it's easier for me to think that I can trust God because he's sovereign. Well, really what we're saying though is God's sovereign the way I want him to be sovereign, not the way he's really sovereign because God's sovereignty means he can do what he wants to do. And if he wants to not predetermine everything in the future, he can do that because he's God. Hello? And maybe I'm shaking some sacred cows, you know. But, and we say things like, well, God is in control. And what we're saying is God is exactly in control. No matter what happens, it's going to be good. And, oh, you know, you know 400,000 people just died in tsunamis. God is in control. He did it for a reason. He's trying to show the Muslims that judgment is coming. Like, give me a break. Hello? God's plan is, listen, the future is not exhaustively settled or certain. To a degree, it is open. Why do I want you to know that? Because you have a part to play in that. It's called open to possibilities. You have a free will. You need to choose. You need to partner with God. You need to hear the mission, the commission. What is God telling you to do? What are you created for? What is your purpose? Your purpose, there's possibilities in the future for your purpose. There may be certainties, but to a degree, you have to understand there's possibilities. Otherwise, deep-seated in your heart, you will sit back into complacency. And the reason that we're called to do, the reason we're called to pray, the reason we're called to uh, release the kingdom of God in the earth is because we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility. Can I hear you say amen? Amen. Let's just talk about this a little more, and then we'll move on. Acts 16.6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. I don't know if that's if I said that right. Having been, been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Now, I want you to catch this. Paul's preaching, okay? He's got people traveling with him. He's doing his thing. Paul, he, he said yes to the commission. And he went, and he's preaching. Now, Paul didn't say, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do today? He's going from village to village, from town to town, and he's preaching the gospel, and he's encouraging the churches. And then the Holy Spirit says, yo, I don't want you to go over there. That ain't cool. Now we've literally flipped it when we talk about being led by the Spirit. I have to be led by the Spirit? Hold on. Let me just pray. Shh. Can you be quiet for a minute so I can pray? Sometimes that's the sound of religion. Shh, I mean, yeah, shh. And so sometimes, sometimes, not all the time. Sometimes you know, you shh, you know, yeah, glory. And and yet yeah, sometimes there's time to be quiet. But sometimes like shh. I just need to pray. I mean, and, and it's like we, we have this thing like, okay, God, do you want me to wear the blue bands or the red bands? Cause I know. And listen, if you're if you do this, I I love you. God bless you. But not, we don't have to spiritualize everything. Hello. Like, God, do you want me to chew juicy fruit? Or should I chew bubble gum today? Like hubba-bubba. Isn't that a bubble gum? I don't know if it is. You know, it's like we've we've over-spiritualized everything. That's not this. Paul's saying, listen, to be led by the Spirit is to say yes, to go. We know what we're supposed to do. Paul was being responsible, but then the Holy Spirit said, I don't want you to do that. See, the way we look at it is we wait for one thing for God to tell us to do instead of to do the one thing he said to do, which means do many things. And then if God comes in and says, don't do that one thing of the many things, that's being led by the Spirit. Yeah. Hello? Yeah. I remember one time we were in a prayer meeting, and someone's like telling, you know, he's like, we're doing an outreach, and he's like, you know, and if, uh, if you don't feel led by the Spirit, just go get some fish weights and put it in your pocket and feel some lead. You know, I'm like, I like that. There's Christians that just need to feel led just feel, I I just don't feel led to serve. Then you're not doing your Christ-like duty in the earth. You know, there's this narcissistic spirit in Christianity. We just got to kill it. Hello? Well, I just don't feel involved. That's because everyone is serving but you. Hello? My Lord, I could drop the mic and walk away, but I got more to say. Uh, well, I just don't feel involved. and That's because you're in a culture of loving and serving, and you're still offended, and you won't rise up and, and give of yourself. You want to take, 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 take. But that God, God is calling us to serve, to love, to be self-giving and other-centered, not selfish. Man, this church is anointed this morning. Woo, I can feel the anointing from you just saying, holla. So Paul, listen, Here's catch it. Paul's doing what God created him to do, and then there's a little roadblock, and and God steers him another direction. You ready? Catch this. You can't steer a parked car, y'all. Notice I got an M5 up here. So much glory on this car. I feel like Vanna White. This is about... 560 horsepower, twin turbo V8. Come on, somebody. That's a car right there. Probably doesn't get good gas mileage. Who cares? It's really fast and amazing. How many know you can't steer a parked car? If you're not moving, God can't steer you. He said, Go. And you have permission to go. I want you to look at the person next to you with passion. And don't have a conversation with them and say, you have permission to go. Come on, you have permission to do what I said, don't have a conversation with them. It's so disobedient. You have permission to go and you can't steer a parked car. God wants us to go. Come on! I was talking to Jeff this morning, and he's like, "I want to." He wants to go on a mission trip with Harold, and he wants to go to South Africa. It's in his heart. God wired him for evangelism. I love that, bro. You know, we need to. That needs to rub off on us so that we're we're always in the go mentality. Like, there's people that need to hear the gospel. There's people that need love. There's people we're called to shine as lights in the world, and that's part of our purpose and God's plan is for us to carry the call. And to run with that vision. Can I hear you say amen? amen? I want to talk about this just a little more. Okay, so God's plan is not a tightrope. It's a tapestry. Yeah. And you know, it, it takes more of a sovereign God to, weep, uh, to to weave a wrong decision from a free agent like us into his plan. He, how many know he can take broken things and make them beautiful? Yeah. And sometimes we're better than we were before our mistakes because we, we are humble. amen. That's called enforced humility, right? (laughs) But you know, it's a beautiful thing to know that we serve a God that even though some things in this world run according to natural law and spiritual law, God, uh, he can weave things into a beautiful tapestry, a beautiful tapestry. His will is not this narrow, fine line. It's a beautiful tapestry and we have to know him and we have to partner with him I want you to look at this verse real quick. We're going to look at it two different translations. We're taking more time on this point. 1 Corinthians 3.9, For we are God, co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. You see, God's cultivating you, and he's fitly framing us together. But Paul's telling the church, Listen, uh, Apollos and I and, and us and God are fellow workers together. The the word that's used here in the Greek is synergeos. It's where we get the word synergy. You there is a listen, there is a synergistic relationship between you and God and community to carry out his will in the earth. God has always been looking for covenant partners. He wants relationship with you, and he wants you to carry out his heart and do his will in the earth. Let's look at it in the amplified. Isn't that good? For we are fellow workmen, joint promoters, laborers together with and for God. So Paul's not just talking about him and Apollos, his partner, but he's talking about their partnership with God, their synergy with the kingdom, their synergy with God and their synergy with with one another. And they're releasing and carrying out God's work. And God is building something and God is cultivating something. But that requires a partnership. God chose to do it that way. God chose to do it that way. Amen. You are God's garden and vineyard and field under cultivation. Isn't that good? You are God's building. Amen. Now let's talk about uh, point two here. Your ministry. Oh, your ministry. Anyone have a ministry website? ZachWexler.com. No, I'm just... You know, we've done this thing with ministry, though, and it's like we've exalted, oh, well, I I, I got to, you know, take an offering for my ministry. And it's like we, it's just, it's another reason to make ourselves feel good because our whole identity is wrapped up in our gift or our ability. And and there's this understanding of ministry I want you to capture. We're not going to spend too much time on this one, but this is powerful. Okay, ministry is loving and serving people. And last week we talked a little bit about this, about the different models and ministry is not like if someone's a minister, you think, oh, they're a minister, they need to be served and honored. No, they are a servant. In the kingdom of God, authority and control are not synonymous. In the kingdom of God, the greater the authority, the greater the humility and servanthood. Jesus revealed it in John 13. He says, this is what leadership looks like. God incarnate says, this is what I want you to do. This is the model I'm leaving you. And he washed all the disciples' feet. He took the lowest place of a servant. And that included Judas. Hallelujah. Even washing our enemies' feet. People that, are, he knew he was going to betray Him. God knew what was in his heart. And, and it's important that we understand ministry is, is serving and is loving and is walking in humility to, to see somebody else blessed. You know, yesterday we're praying for people, and, and our guest Abner is praying for people, people that lead and serve in our body, and, uh, and John Sprick comes up. He's like, this is amazing, and he's looking at me, and he's encouraging me. He says, look what God's doing. He's like, look at this community. Like, we're surrounding everyone waiting to hear a good word that they're going to get, and we're rejoicing with their word. That's our culture. It's not like we're. I want the best word. I want a, I want a word that I'm going to the nations and I'm going to have a million person ministry and I'm going to preach in stadiums. But we're literally surrounding these people because we love people because we're learning to love people. But we're surrounding them and we're cheering them them on in their destiny and we're and we're not waiting for a word for us. But we're like God and we're literally going from person to person. And John's welling up in tears and ministered so powerful to me, just thinking, like, this is what God's doing. Like, we're learning to love. We're, le- we're learning to do this stuff. Come on, somebody. So our ministry is connected to God's heart. Now, that sounds simple, but it's so profound. Ministry is not like having a website and a bunch of likes on Facebook and people that follow us. Hello? It's loving and serving people. If you want to be a minister, serve. You're all ministers and witnesses for the gospel. Acts 26, 16, Paul on the road to Emmaus encounters God and God says, I have appeared to you for this purpose to to make you a minister and a witness of the things you've seen and the things I will yet reveal to you. Come on. It says to turn them from the power of Satan to God, to turn them from darkness to light. You are a minister and a witness of the gospel. And your ministry is to love and serve, but it's to take on the heart of God. Look at this scripture, it's so powerful. Matthew 9, one of my favorite parts of the, I say that about every scripture. I literally, oh, so, oh it's my favorite. It really is. I, I have these, there's these hot spots in the scripture. I, I keep going back to, and I love, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, of the, of the reign of God, the reign of his love the reign of the father. And he healed every disease and sickness. Come on. He healed every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Can you say amen? Here, here's what happened. Jesus, before he sent out the disciples, not only did he say, man, look, look at the harvest. It's ripe. He actually showed them his heart. He, he, a, a true leader will always show indeed what, what the, the disciplee is created for. Like, you know, it's not just like, well, here's what you need to do. You need to read the Bible and you need to learn verses and no, like, Hey, let's go love somebody today. Like, let's go feed a homeless person. Let's Let's go out and, and pray for healing for somebody. Let's, I want you to come with me. We're going to visit this person. Come on, somebody. We're going to visit him. And, 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 and Jesus is like, move with compassion as he sees the multitude. So there's a powerful connection here with the revealing of the heart of Jesus and then his disciples seeing the heart of Jesus and saying, I want that fire. And that fire catches blaze in their hearts, then they see things differently. You see, when your heart changes, your vision changes. Your perspective changes. And ministry is taking on God's heart and God's vision. Can I hear you say amen? Amen. Ministry is taking on his heart. What does that mean? His desires, his will, his intentions. And then we begin to see like him. There's connections with the heart and the eyes all throughout scripture. You know, when Jesus says things like, you know, if, if a man looks at a woman with lust in his eye, he's committed adultery in his heart. We have this idea that, oh, well, God knows all of our thoughts, so as soon as we do it, then, oh, it's sin. Well, yeah, that's true, right? But what Jesus was saying was more like this. He's saying, because he's talking about the heart. Later on, he talks about if the, is, if, the heart is, if the eye is single or good, the whole body is full of light. And, and then he, But he's talking about trusting the Father and that God is good and that he loves us. But I want you to understand something when Jesus says, like, if you look at a woman with lust in your eye, if a guy looks at a woman with lust in his eye, he's already committed adultery in his heart. He's saying that was already in his heart. That's why it happened. You see, what, is, what your heart is open to, your eyes uh, will, will, will be drawn to. If your heart is, is open to something, your eyes will gravitate to that, no matter what it is. Hello? Good and bad. And so as we take on the heart of God through our relationship with him, with our relationship with community, learning to love people, we can, we can see with his eyes and we can do what he's created to do. And that's what ministry is. Hello? Now, if you have a ministry, you have a, that's a cool website, all that stuff. We have a website as a church. But I think we've over-compartmentalized vision and ministry. Even in church vision, it's like, well, you're here. You need to understand the vision of Encounter Church Las Vegas. You know, through relationship and through uh, connection, your vision becomes a part of our vision. It becomes our vision. And our vision, here's what I want you to catch with this point, becomes his vision. A good vision of a church is is a church that sees like he sees. That's the vision of our church. That sounds really simple. No, that's very profound. We want to see like the Father sees. We want to see our city like the Father sees. It's not sin city. It's revival city. It's grace city because God loves this city. We're, we're seeing, we're getting the Father's heart and we're seeing with his eyes. That's ministry. Right. Yeah. What is ministry? Taking on God's heart for a service or a work in the earth. Yeah. Yeah. Ministry is taking on God's heart for... <laughs> Holla! Come on, somebody. <laughs> you can't do that, sis. It just throws me for a loop. <laughs> Oh, thirdly, let's move on to the next point here, praise God. Your light. How many know Jesus says, you are the light of the world? What does that mean? Well, I want to shine, so I'm going to do all these good works, and and I want to do good things and look like a perfect robot, so when I go to work, everyone looks at me and says, I want to be a Christian too. I don't know where that voice came from, but (laughs) what does it mean to shine? What does it mean to shine? Well, let's shine. You know, this little light of mine. Come on, somebody. I'm going to let it shine. Sound like the cowardly lion for a minute. What does it mean to shine? What does it mean to shine? What it means to shine is we, we connect it to the revelation of who God is. Let's read these scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 5, five. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. If you work graveyard, you need to get saved. No, I'm just playing. Oops, I went too far. I'm totally joking. Dang it. Okay, here we go. Ephesians 5.8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. You shining and being the light of the world is all based on the revelation of who God is. I'm going to connect this so you're going to get it. This is powerful. Look at this verse here. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or regard to a religious festival, a new moon, celebration, or Sabbath. So Paul's contrasting the old covenant, okay? The old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and then with the new covenant that we have in Christ. And he says, these are a shadow of the things to come. The reality, say the reality, yes. however, is found in Christ. In other words, Christ is the reality, but the shadow was all that other stuff, the old covenant. See, what happens when we we try to shine his lights, but we're not reflecting the light of who God really is. We're still trying to dissect the shadow. There's a lot of atheists out there because they'll read Leviticus and think it's applicable today because of fundamental Christianity. Now, this is important that you get what I'm about to say. Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. Every authoritative and inspired word of the scripture points to Jesus, the eternal word of God. Jesus, God incarnate. Read this with me. In the past, okay, in the shadow, in the old covenant, in the past, the author of Hebrews is saying, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So the, the, all the prophets, all the, they prophesied of the Messiah. They, it all pointed to him, okay? And you see in scripture, there's a progressive revelation of God God stops human sacrifice. They want a religion. They want an ark like the other religions. And God says, you can have that. And he says, this is how I want you to do it. And, and so, and if you study scripture with a historical contextual understanding, this, this is a lot easier to understand this stuff. And that, so he says, in the past, this is the way God spoke, but it all pointed to someone else. He says, but in these last days, now this was written 2000 years ago, in these last days, He says, that's just an eschatology nugget for you. He has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Wow. Kids are having fun over there. Verse 3, this is what I want you to catch. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact Representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty uh, in heaven. Come on. Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. Why am I telling you this? Because we need to represent who God is, but that also means we need to represent who God is, revealing the Father's love. Jesus came. Now this connects to our purpose, okay? This is our mission, our ministry. Jesus came to reveal the heart of the Father. He came to show us what God looked like. He came to show us that God doesn't look like the deities of archaic religion. He doesn't look like Zeus, although there are some streams of Christianity that kind of portray God looking kind of like Zeus, right? I have a covenant with God, and my God's going to throw lightning bolts at your nation and judge you because you're evil. Right? Hello? That's not who God is. Jesus came to settle the issue on the confusion about God, the creator of the universe. Matter of fact, he revolutionized prayer, and he said, here's how you pray. Daddy, if Daddy God offends you, then Jesus' prayer offends you. Because he spoke in Aramaic. That was his mother tongue. When you read the Lord's prayer, you know what he was saying? And it's reiterated by Paul two times in the New Testament, at least two, Galatians 4, 6, and Romans 8, that he says, we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy God, Papa God. That changes everything. We are ambassadors of the new covenant called to represent who God is in Christ. That's how you shine is you tell people and you show people what God looks like. God's a loving father. God's a forgiving God. And God wants to free us. He wants to heal us of our diseases. He wants to heal us of the spiritual sickness of sin. He wants to just shower his mercy and grace on us. That's who God is. And that's what we're created to do as a people, as a church together our purpose, God's plan, it's not a tightrope. It's a tapestry. Our ministry is not just some individualistic thing. It's God's heart. It's taking on God's heart and taking on his heart and his vision and shining his lights is the revelation of who God is and it's representing him to humanity. Can I hear you say amen? amen. Thank you, Lord. I wanna close in prayer and then I'm gonna have my wife come up and, uh, and she's just going to close us out. Can we just take a minute? Yeah, you can come up Lee that'd be great. You know the, the process of learning God's heart for people is a process. It, it is just that. And I remember even before we planted the church and then through the journey and, and even today like we're learning to take God's heart on for people you know and and like we have to we have to take his heart. And and we have to uh, we have to hear the sound and the rhythm of his heartbeat, and know his love and, and hear his voice. And when, when we do that, uh, we we learn to love people. We learn to love well. But how many know it's a process? As a matter of fact, like if you pray a prayer, this is what this is this is a common prayer in churches. God, expand my capacity to love. Get ready for Judas to manifest. <laughs> It's impossible to grow in love without pain. It's impossible to even love without being vulnerable to some sort of sacrifice or pain. Love's just an idea and a word unless we're actually open for that. One of the reasons we don't wanna go deep in relationships is because we're so afraid to get hurt. But as you mature in love, you learn you're still gonna go through pain, but you learn to hurt for people rather than from people. Not in a prideful sense, because we do that. Like, oh, they don't know who they are. They don't know their identity and blah, blah. And we're just condescending them. But I mean, literally, like, I just, they made some bad choices, but I love them. Even though they hurt me, I love them. And taking on God's heart for people, especially as Christians, because sometimes we look at the world and we kind of condescend the world. But I, I want to encourage you right now. Let's. Can we take just a moment and pray a prayer that we could take on God's heart so that we can We can walk in his purpose and his will, which is to do good, to love. We can shine and we can serve and love people. We can minister. This is engage mission. This is engage ministry. And I want us to pray together. Can we do that? Would you lift your hands with me? And this is just like an expression of surrender. It's an expression of God. My heart's open. And and I want to see people the way you see them dangerous prayer guys it's a dangerous prayer God give me your heart for the broken we started doing outreaches when we planted the church and I remember moments defining moments I remember we're doing this outreach in in a uh, housing project or it was an apartment complex next to the projects and I don't remember it was one or the other and, and we're there and we're doing our thing and we're doing like a sidewalk Sunday school thing, and this dude comes up with the gangster limp and, and all hard, kind of like, what are you doing in my hood, you know? And I look at him I'm like, Psh, first thing I'm thinking is punk. That's what, I mean, just keep it real, you know? God knows what you do when someone cuts you off too in the, on the freeway. But I, I, that's the first thing that came to my mind, and then God in my heart, and instantly I saw him as a little boy without a dad. And I like I almost ran up and hugged him. He probably would have socked me. God gave me a piece of His heart, and I saw Him differently. It's so profound. And as people, imagine a church that not just the leaders have God's heart for people, but the church has God's heart for people. Pastors, you there's many pastors in this room. People that are called to disciple, mentor. You might not be called to lead a church that you might be called to pastor people and to teach them and to evangelize. And the way we, we begin to walk in that is we just take on God's heart. God, teach me to see people the way you see them. I wanna, I wanna feel the rhythm of your heartbeat and I want it to change the rhythm of my heartbeat so that I can love well. And it's gonna start as, as a father, it's gonna start with me loving my kids. As a husband, it's gonna start with me loving my wife my beautiful anointed wife. And and it flows out of that. So then I can love church family. I can love humanity. I can look at the lost and the broken and say, God loves you with with a genuine heart. And not just, you know, God bless you. Jesus loves you and take them through Romans road. But we literally weep. We see like Jesus, Matthew 9, he looked at the multitudes He was moved with compassion. You know the difference between empathy and compassion? Compassion moves you. Sympathy, rather. Sympathy. You can have sympathy, but compassion moves you. Come on. Jesus was moved with compassion. He said, look at the harvest. So pray this with me. Say, Lord, reveal your heart to me. Your love for humanity. Your love for me love for those around me. Come and just minister your love to me right now. I want to take on your heart. Yeah, not just silently. Would you pray for a minute on your own? Just pray just for a minute on your own. I'm going to close and have my wife come and I just want you to pray. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Holy Spirit, our hearts are open. Hearts, hearts are open to you right now. So as you as you go, can you say Amen? Say Amen with me. As you go throughout the rest of your day, look at people differently. Ask God to show you things, and and just—I don't mean just like getting words for people, but just like God, I want to see them like you see them. When we started doing this, we would—we got to the store. We do it with our youth. And we get words for people, our youth group and stuff. And we go out and we literally just take on God's heart for people. You remember all the times we do that? And we go to the store. And we even, to this day, sometimes we do it with our kids. What's their name? You know, and they'll be like, their name is, you know, And we're just messing around. But literally, like, God, what are you, how do you see them? You know what's so powerful is the testimonies of when we take that step and actually love and minister to someone, God powerfully encounters them. You know, that's what you're created to do, not just church leadership and the evangelism team. Like, Christians are called to do that stuff. Hello? We're called to love and serve and shine. Let's do it. Amen? Come on, let's seal it with praise. God bless you guys.